now you will have the chance to make this the most glorious race of your life. Uno for the money, two for the shop, three to get ready, and the quattro to go! Welcome to Detour to Neverland, your guide to living your best Disney life through your hobby or business. Here's your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 176. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our episode today is continuing our storytelling series. So in the past, we have, well, I was going to name all the attractions <laughs> we've done, but we're like five or six in now. I said I can't remember them all. It's hard, but um, we're excited to continue this storytelling series because it has been really fun for us just to do some research and to kind of branch out in something different. We were inspired by the Imagineering story on Disney Plus, and we thought that this would be a fun way for us to get some of that parks magic at home. Yeah, and we've often talked about that the history of the parks and the history of attractions are an area that we want to dive deeper into. So this is kind of self-serving as well, so we can learn more about it. But I like being able to share it with you guys and we've received some good, some good feedback from you as well. So hopefully you are enjoying these. Our topic today, our first DCA ride. Yes. Radiator Springs Racers. Yeah, this was my pick. And I just kind of picked it on a whim because when we went to Disneyland and DCA, this is a ride that really stood out to me as being one of my favorites. And I just have enjoyed so far picking rides that I enjoy. And in doing research, there is so much just crazy background on this ride and on the park itself that I was shocked. I was doing my research in the room next door and I just had to keep coming over to tell Brendan everything that I was reading. I know you came and said, did you know, like 15 <laughs> times, but I'm glad. I think that's the point of all of this. So as always, the format for our breakdown of Radiator Springs Racers will be the history. Then we'll do the scene breakdown. Then we will take a quick break, be back to do our personal history and give it our Neverland score. Yes. The always anticipated. Yes. <laughs> so I guess we'll jump right into it. We're going to start with history. And this ride is what I would consider pretty new still. It opened up on June 15th in 2012 as the big e-ticket attraction for the newly imagined DCA and, of course, for Cars Land after their $1.2 billion, with a B, dollar reconstruction. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the thing. I mean, that's what you go back there for. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And it's definitely the ride in the park, and especially in this land, that is consistently always going to have one of the biggest wait times. Oh, yeah. Um, so this ride, the first indication of this attraction in the new land was just some concept art that was published in the dreaming section of the Walt Disney Company's 2006 annual report. And, you know, if we think about that, that's six years between just the idea of it and the actual opening and building of the ride. 2006 is also the year that 
Cars, the movie was released. So I definitely think there is a correlation there. I mean, it makes sense. Um, But by late 2009, they started construction on the attraction, and it took about two and a half years to build. It is always crazy to think about the things that they announce at the D23s or in an annual report or the different ways that they announce expansions or remodelings, how long it takes for those to become a reality. Mm -hmm. It's almost... A little bit of an inside joke, I feel like, because it seems, I don't know, maybe it's because we don't follow it as much, but it seems like Universal is able to just like pop things up. Maybe that's how you get issues like Hagrid's where <laughs> it wasn't quite ready. It breaks ready. down a lot. But don't you feel like it It seems to take a long time from when we hear about something to when it? you can walk through the gate? I do. And I wonder if part of that is just because... Disney is like, even if they come up with an idea, they're always trying to make it better. And they do a lot of problem solving because they are trying to work on like cutting edge technology. I wonder if that's part of it or if they just run into, you know, budget issues or any of the other things that have come up throughout their history. I feel like something like that always happens. And in this case, it's not just one ride. It was the creation of an entire land. It's 12 acres, the entire land, and this one ride takes up six acres. And again, that could be why maybe it took so long, too. Well, and it is also interesting that now we're seeing them open new lands and expansions in phases Mm -hmm. rather than doing it all at once like they did with Cars Land. So we saw that in Batu on both coasts, and we're seeing that in the Avengers campus as well. I wonder... And this isn't something that we've talked about or researched until just now. But I wonder what the reasoning behind doing that is. I mean, I think it could be as simple as they hit delays and other things are done. And, you know, things like Rise and things like the Avengers coaster just take so much longer than a flat ride or something like that, Mm -hmm. that they figured, well, let's just open it up and give the people what they want for a little while. But in other scenarios, I think it backfires because I think people waited to go to Galaxy's Edge until Rise was open. Oh, 100%. Because even, I mean, for us, I'd say we rode Smuggler's Run. We were excited about it. We thought it was a nice ride, but it still leaves you with that longing. And maybe... Again, it's very thought out and they want to leave you with that longing. So you book another trip and you come back more quickly. I don't know. But can you imagine if they open Cars Land without Radiator Springs Racers? No, I feel and maybe that's why they did it for this one, because so much was riding on this ride in this new land to help DCA. Maybe they felt like they couldn't, you know, leave anything left to be desired. Whereas in some of these other parks, they they can. The other thing that I'm thinking about is that for Rise, and I believe the Avengers coaster as well, they're both enclosed attractions. Radiator Springs, with most of it being outside and not in a show building, you can't hide that. That's true. That's a good point, too. So who knows? But basically, this ride, many people say that this ride single-handedly saved DCA, since for a long time it was a huge money pit. Um, the first year that they opened, DCA only had about 
five million guests, which sounds like a lot, but Disneyland had twelve within that same year. Mm-hmm. And then the second year of DCA being opened, those numbers dropped by about thirteen percent, which is a huge red flag because they had hoped the initial reason that they created DCA was to make it a bigger tourist attraction. And that was definitely the opposite effect of what they had wanted. Uh, I was part of that 5 million people, by the way. Were you really? Yeah. We were there first year it was open. Oh, that is we so fun. We probably spent a half a day, if not less, in there. You know what? We're going to book your, what, what do they call it? Book your that? Bunny yeah. ear that? And we're gonna <laughs> we're going to come back to that. Because I do think that would be fun to talk about. I just think it's funny you called it a bunny ear. I don't think that's a thing at all. Yeah, when you... We're going to earmark that? That's yeah, Disney. It's a, it's a bunny ear oh. when you fold it over. I don't know. You're just in the Easter spirit. Probably. But what do you think about that statement that this ride single-handedly saved DCA? It's so hard because we didn't go in those really abysmal years. I mean, when it when DCA opened, what year was that? Oh, gosh. <laughs> early, early 2000s. Okay. So I was probably 10 to 12 years old. So I can't really be a good gauge. I do know that when we went to DCA, it was like one of the top three things that we had to do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess it makes sense that it single-handedly saved it. You You see that in... I think you see that more often than we realize of how much traffic one e-ticket attraction can bring. Yeah, I completely agree. And before we get onto that tangent, because we could talk about like the impacts of Hollywood Studios, I feel like, and everything that's come there. Before we go down that rabbit hole, let's talk about some of the big things that are highlighted in this ride. So, of course, it combines two things that all people love about Disney attractions. It is a thrill ride, but it's also, it has the same aspects of like a dark ride, which is what people at the time, and even today, they really love that about Disneyland. It's that storytelling aspect that people expect when they go to these parks. And that that was a lot of the complaint at the time from DCA is that it was missing that storytelling and that kind of Disney feel to it. It's very similar to Test Track. And they did that on purpose. It wasn't just like a happy accident or anything like that. But the technology does allow you to go at a very high speed. It's about 40 miles per hour. And the biggest difference here is that the vehicles race on separate tracks. And it is actually a race where it's programmed to pick a different winner. And you basically have a 50-50 chance of being in the winning car. We lost. We did lose. What a bummer. The one time you ride the ride that you lose. So we'll just have to try some more, I guess. But that, you know, definitely draws in people. You know, whether you're just a Cars fan and you're little kids and you just like the dark ride or you're more of a thrills person, you know, it really is a ride for everybody. Yeah, I can see that. And the aspect of, Winning and losing gives it rewritability. Yes, I completely agree. Did I read ahead on your notes? Um, maybe just a little bit. It is something that will play into our 
Neverland score yeah. for sure. Um, but when we think about just overall the history of the ride, we do have to stop for a second and look more at the problems with DCA. And again, if you haven't watched the Imagineering story on Disney Plus, you absolutely have to because it does talk a lot about this on there, which is kind of where, again, our wheels got spinning to talk about some of these things. When they came up with the idea for DCA, they were looking for it to be more competitive with Disney World in Florida, but mostly they were looking for Disneyland to be a more competitive tourist spot within California. And that's because it's like the commercials that you see on TV for California where you see people at the beach, you see people skiing, you see people doing, you know, just about everything under the sun. There's so much to do in California. If a family is planning their trip, there's a lot of options. And Disney recognized that, which is where they came up with the idea for Disney California Adventure is they wanted to bring all of those aspects of California to one place so they could be like the one-stop shop. And again, that's kind of where we start to get this storytelling element. And we're going to come back because that same kind of idea of California is still in Cars Land, which I thought was super cool. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so overall, um, when it ended up being a huge flop, Bob Iger famously said, Steve Jobs is fond of talking about brand deposits and bank and brand withdrawals. Anytime you do something mediocre with your brand, that's a withdrawal. California Adventure was a brand withdrawal. And that's how we kind of circle back to the creation of Cars Land. To me, this was a huge statement to call a whole park mediocre and a withdrawal. And they're basically admitting defeat. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I think that is an aspect of Bob Iger as a leader of something that so many of us appreciate about him is that he calls a spade a spade. That if it's a failure, he's not afraid to say that it's a failure, but still willing to move forward and move past it. Now, I I wasn't as tuned as in tune with the company when like Michael Eisner was in charge, but from what I can tell, it seems like he would maybe make more excuses and cover things up or or detract your attention from the failures. And so, I think that is a big turning point for DCA to just say this is not working. Mhm. Mm and that's kind of where they started coming up with ways to save the park. And before Cars Land was thought up, before we even had the movie Cars, Imagineers came up with the idea of, get this, Carland. No S. <laughs> so dumb. But isn't it hilarious just how, to me, it's almost unreal how everything parallels. And that's what we're going to talk about next. But basically, Carland goes back to California and the road tripping, the affinity for cars that not only Walt had, but for, you know, just families and the idea of road tripping that was extremely popular 
for a long period of time, not only in California, but also with, you know, Route 66 and everything like that. That was the whole inspiration for this land. And it relates back to California because, you know, road tripping. I don't know. And with all of that, they knew that they were going to try to create an e-ticket attraction. And all the ideas that they came up with fell pretty short. They were nothing special. They were still missing the characters that people wanted from Disneyland. And over time, they were still keeping Carland, but their e-ticket attraction was going to be called Goofy About Road Trips. And this is the point of my research where I was like sprinting into the next room to tell Brendan about what I found, because this ride was going to be based on a Goofy movie from 1995, and it was going to feature, again, the same technology as Test Track. It would have been amazing. (laughs) I love Radiator Springs Racers, but I mean, it would have been an incredible ride, I think, if they could have pulled that off. Now, would it have had the appropriate land to sit in like Radiator Springs Racers? No. Mm -mm. But... They were definitely reaching. Maybe I'm being selfish that I wanted a goofy movie, but you could hear Powerline on the radio. Maybe you could hear Powerline do a concert at the end of it. Like there's so many different things in a scene in the movie. You pass uh, Goofy and Donald when they're in the car. I do think it could have been really fun. However, I do think that it, it might have, um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It would have been very old, very quick. You know what I mean? Like kids nowadays, I don't know what kids watch really, but I don't know if many kids today have seen a goofy movie, whereas Cars is very recognizable, which is ultimately why they kind of swung in that direction once the movie was created. Well, a goofy movie is so interesting as well because it's almost got a cult following where it's become more popular as time has passed. That's true, too. Yeah. Whereas Cars, well, I was going to say it's a hit from the beginning, but you have some information on that that maybe says otherwise. Yeah. Um, So this kind of goes with just like the inspiration for the ride and Cars Land in general. Um, Everything about Cars, like I mentioned earlier, the history, that's why, you know, Disneyland and Disney World have rides like the Autopia. Is that how you say it? Autopia. (laughs) Autopia. That's why we have those rides because Walt really did like cars. He liked the idea of people being able to control that or have that experience. Um, And that's where we get Test Track 2. The other part of it, as far as the cars, the movie, Pixar film side of it, is that Cars was not a very popular movie. If we were to rank Cars with all the other Pixar movies, it ranks 15th out of 19th, out of 19 total, which is not impressive at all. It made about $500 million in its international run. The kicker here. And what kind of pushed it over the edge for Disney as far as allowing this to be the first 
land that's based off of just one movie, because this is the first time that that's ever happened, was the merchandising side of it. The merchandise reportedly topped around $10 billion. Again, it's a B, which is a big number. And that was just in like the five-year period after its debut. And that was a huge factor because they recognized, you know, maybe it wasn't the most popular movie, but merchandise is where you make money. <laughs> and Disney loves a good opportunity to make money. That is true. And I think, you know, there's also an aspect of that the film is so beautifully done. There's a lot that they can adopt. And it is based in California. Mm -hmm. So um, it makes sense why they were attracted to it. I completely agree. Something else that is a little off topic for a Disney podcast, but I think it's worth mentioning in my research. The other thing that really pushed them to create this land and this ride was the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. When Universal created that land, they nailed that immersive idea of when you walk into, you know, Hogsmeade, you are in Hogsmeade. Everything is just perfect. And if you've ever been there, you probably agree. I mean, I think it's amazing. Don't you? Well, yeah, we've often said that besides in before Galaxy's Edge was built, it was the most immersive land we've ever been in. For sure. And if you've been to Diagon Alley, you probably would agree with that statement even more, in my opinion. But Sadly, you've never taken me. <laughs> Sorry about that. But that's where they decided that Cars Land would work as its own completely, you know, immersed land where everything is just like it would be in the movie. It was the first time that they ever really tried to do that in a Disney park. And that's something that guests really loved. Well, and you mentioned to me that viewing the Wizarding World of Harry Potter where you don't buy, you know, a tchotchke with a universal studios logo on it in any of the gift shops back there you buy wands and everything is on theme even down to the merchandise and i think you see that to a certain extent in cars land yeah you're not you know there's theme things that are like motor oil and whatever else that you might need and cozy cone does a great job of that mm -hmm. as well but i do think that's a turning point where People want that full-blown, I'm in this movie. And like you said, that's exactly what we see in Galaxy's Edge now, too. And I think this land probably helped with that, as well as, you know, the competitor. That always helps. The last thing we want to talk about as far as the history of this ride is just how expensive it was. In all the research I did, so I'm going to give you a footnote before I give you these numbers. It's very hard to look up how much things cost in Disney because they do not like to reveal their price tags. Everything's kind of a guess, you know, but I looked in a lot of different places and these were the most consistent numbers. So we're going to go with it. But just side note, if you read something another day that says otherwise, I mean, who knows? I don't know. According to everything I read, it's the most expensive attraction in 
any Disney park. And I know right now you're probably at home thinking, well, it's not more expensive than Rise of the Resistance. That's exactly what Brendan said. Or it's not more expensive than this or that or anything else. It did actually have rides from international parks. And that goes to show just how much this one must have cost. They estimate that it was about $200 million just to build this ride. And what I could find, Rise of the Resistance cost maybe $78 million is the number that I found in a couple different places. So to me, that's a pretty big deal. And I don't know if it's just the size of this ride as well as the technology because the second place ride on a lot of the lists were Test Track. I think maybe it's just the wear and tear to the cars, the technology that goes into them. And then, of course, when you add animatrom- an- oh god, <laughs> You're going to have to figure out that word. I'm going to have to. Animatronics. When you add those in to the mix as well, of course, you're just adding dollar signs well and i would you'll never know this but i would be interested to know do does all the rock work that is just an unbelievable amount of labor and artistic capabilities that have to go into that is that attributed to the ride or is that attributed to the land's budget or are they all one budget you know you never know Mm -hmm. on things like that on how they can parse it up but that's a really good point because that backdrop, if you've ever been to Cars Land, is stunning. It's breathtaking. It's one of the few times in a Disney park that I've like legitimately had my breath taken away. And you really feel like you're somewhere else. So they checked that box for sure. But I think that's all I have for history. I really could probably go on and on forever because I just thought it was so fascinating. But that's what we have for you. That's all your history. That's all my history. All right. It maybe makes more sense to do the scene breakdowns at the beginning, but we just laid the foundation. Exactly. So here's the scene breakdowns for Radiator Springs racers. So starting on it at an archway near the Radiator Springs courthouse, the queue travels to the oldest parts of Radiator Springs to the original roadside attractions and buildings constructed by Stanley. After passing through old national park signs and landmarks, you enter to the load area where Sheriff is providing safety instructions. And you liked this part, didn't you? Well, to me, that just seems so fitting. A sheriff telling you the safety instructions. I mean, this made me start to think, and this was the question that I wanted to ask you. Can you think of any other characters that fittingly provide the safety instructions or even just ones that make you smile? Well... I mean, there's the obvious ones like Slinky Dog is hilarious. I agree. Especially Slinky Dog in Spanish. <laughs> yeah. So that one always does make a smile. Uh, I'm thinking of other ones in that similar vein, like Tomater. His oh Spanish one was hilarious. Yes. Um, wild, wildest Ride in the Wilderness. Uh-huh. That mm-hmm. audio spiel. Did you have any in mind? Well, I didn't expect you to ask me. I don't know. I think when we think about, you know, hosts or someone who kind of guides you on the ride, I mean, the ghost host always stands out. Um, How about Buzz on Space Ranger Spin? Because that's an animatronic. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good one. 
I like that. And I, I mean, I guess in a similar way, you got Mr. Potato Head for Mania. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't seem too safety conscious to me. Well, yeah, I guess there's a difference between tutorials and safety. That's true. Yeah. But I just thought that was fun. So if you have any that we missed that you just think are perfectly fit or that just make you smile, we'd love to hear them. Yeah. So after you leave the loading zone, the cars go on a leisurely drive through Ornament Valley. That's with all the rock work, the waterfalls, just the beautiful scenery that it takes you through. So you're traveling under an arch for a close-up view of the mountain where the waterfall bridge can be seen. And that's just, like, that is so picturesque right there. In my opinion, when you think about the whole ride, because it is right there where all of that beautiful rock work and scenery is, I mean, there is so much to look at because you are in it. And to me, especially where you see like the waterfall bridge, it's just like it is in the movie. And it was probably my favorite scene in the entire ride. Well, and I think that from standing eye level in Radiator Springs, not on the ride, you think that you can see everything Mm -hmm. in Ornament Valley, but you really can't. Mm -hmm. There's so many... There's so much attention to detail for eyesights that you get to see so much more once you're actually on the attraction. Yeah, I agree. For sure. So after that, you enter into a tunnel and you see the lost Mini and Van. Your car nearly crashes into Mac, avoids Mini and Van, and nearly avoids an oncoming train. Sheriff Appear appears and tells you to slow down. <laughs> He has made her take you into a town to get them ready for the race. So though Mater takes, he takes a detour and he takes you to tractor tipping first, which is fun. So I had two thoughts for this. First off, I never knew that those cars names were Minnie and Van. Did you know that? No. I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) It makes sense. It's perfect to me. You love a good pun. I love a good pun and they just nailed that one. The other thing is that we live in Tennessee. You all know that. And we're actually pretty close to a very, I mean, country region. And I feel like with how Mater is depicted and just the little town, I mean, we're not quite at that level of like Radiator Springs. I am going to throw that out there. But tractor tipping, it's like cow tipping. Brendan, have you ever known anyone to go cow tipping? I've heard people talk about it, but I've never actually heard somebody actually go. Yeah. I just thought that was so interesting because it is hilarious that that's what he does for fun. And then you have the whole story with Frank and everything like that. But to me, it just makes me laugh. (laughs) Would you like to go cow tipping? No. Doesn't it hurt the cows? I don't know. It's got to. How could you they even... can't get? Can they get back up? Like that's the problem with the tractors; they can't get back up. Surely they can. I mean, they I sleep. Don't, I don't. Do they sleep laying down or standing up? I think cows lay down and horses stand up. Hmm. We'll have to get hmm. clarification on that. I'm no farm animal, but it expert, seems though. dangerous, and I just made me laugh. Well, I do know, like the the fear is just like in the movie that if you make the bull mad. And you're in big trouble. Big trouble. Or yeah. a mama cow, man. Ooh, don't mess with mama. So back to the ride. Mm-hmm, Is it, are, are you okay to leave cow tipping? At yeah, this I'm good now. Okay. So during a tractor tipping with Mater, 
You make Frank mad, and as you run away, you enter into Radiator Springs. You're then sent into one or one of two buildings for a pre-race tune-up. So you can either go to Luigi's side or Ramon's side. So Luigi's is tires. Ramon's is a paint job. We did. When we rode, we got Luigi's side. But I think Ramon's side would be really fun. I did not even realize there were two different options. I didn't either until doing the research. I guess because we've only been on the ride once and we got Luigi's side, we just figured that was it. It's not. So when you exit, you're met by Doc Hudson, who's giving you some advice before Luigi and Guido start the race. So that's from the little clip at the beginning of the episode is Luigi is counting you down and telling you when to go. So this is the start of the fast or the thrill portion of the ride. And this is where all those competitive instincts kick in because you know when you get on the ride that you're going to race someone. So now you get to see your competitor. So you're sitting there, you know, you're getting excited because you know you're going to go fast. You're sizing up your competitor. It's all the same kind of nerves and like fun anticipation that you get when you ride a roller coaster. Yeah, I remember like there were people like doing like the I'm watching you <laughs> symbol in the other car. Let's go. Yeah. Like you're, you're drag racing. You're talking trash a little bit as, uh-huh. as needed. And then there's also trash talking at the end, I remember. They were Yeah, because we lost. Yeah. yeah. They were sore winners. <laughs> Don't were, be a sore winner. You would have been a sore winner. Probably. <laughs> All right. So once Luigi counts you down, the two vehicles bolt outside and you go up to 40 miles per hour. I thought it was faster. The numbers that I saw were around 40 to 45. But Test Track goes 60. This definitely does not go 60. So it's interesting that they toned it down a little bit. I do wonder if it's because in Test Track, and this might just be a problem for girls with long hair, but when you're on Test Track, your hair's all over your face and you can't see anything and... You know, in this ride, you do still want to be able to look at your competitor. You want to be able to look at the scenery because it does take you to some cool places when you're on, when you're racing. And I think maybe they toned it down so you can see everything because in Test Track, that's probably my biggest complaint about Test Track is you can't take in anything. The pictures, forget it. Why do they even take a picture? I mean, everyone's just like (laughs) wind blown and crazy. I don't know. So, of course, you're racing, you're going around different curves um, and everything along with that. Once someone finally wins and crosses the finish line, you then see Doc Hudson again. He's congratulating the winners on the, I guess he's congratulating everybody on a good, solid, competitive race. And then you go into taillight caverns where one last time you see Lightning McQueen and Mater. Is that the first time you see Lightning? No, I think. Um, before you go into the um, Luigi's and Ramones to get like souped up, I think you see him and Sally. Okay. You're right. Mm-hmm. So that's it. That's the scene breakdown. It makes sense learning the history on kind of how they wanted to showcase this beautiful land while also giving you the dark ride elements and the thrill ride elements. Not trying to jump ahead, but. They nailed it. They did. And like many other rides that we've looked at, I like that they take you to the places that are in the movie and you do get to experience some of the same things that happen in the movie, but it's not a retelling. So they are really trying to 
put you in the story and make you feel like you're in Radiator Springs and you are racing. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break, hear a message from our partners, and then we'll be back for the remainder of the episode. This episode is brought to you by Karma and Kismet. That's N. Our friend Kelly is an outstanding artist with an incredible eye for design. We typically talk about her products and the things that she creates for her shop. However, Kelly also offers services for businesses looking to add some magic to their work. Kelly can help with brand identity, print and graphic design, or even creating an influencer media kit. We highly recommend checking out Kelly's work at karmaandkismetdesigns.com or you can search her products at Karma and Kismet on Etsy. The link is going to be in our show notes and we would encourage you to use the code DETOUR10 to get 10% off your order. There is so much value in having a professional designer help you with your brand identity. Amen to that. Because <laughs> we are kind of all over the place sometimes with fonts and with colors and logos and everything. Along with that, getting a cohesive media kit in place is really helpful. That's not part of the read. I'm just speaking now. I agree. It's a good <laughs> It's a good bonus. A good side note. Yeah. All right. So back to Radiator Springs Racers. Now we need to talk about kind of your takeaways or... I don't know. We said life lessons. I really am not in love with that term. Well, we'll work on the term. But as far as overall takeaways from just our research, something that stood out to me was really just the history. I mean, the ride is great. You can we could talk all day about how much we love the ride. But when you look at all the hardships of DCA and how this land and how this ride kind of brought it to what it is today. I mean, today. I would argue that DCA is one of my favorite Disney parks. I mean, we loved our time there for sure. And I think that to me, this is a message that, you know, nothing is ever too far gone. You know, nothing is ever over. You know, you shouldn't think that something is hopeless or just gone or, you know, past being saved because essentially... DCA was a dumpster fire, and that's what Bob Iger admitted. And I think that, like you said earlier, Brendan, it shows a lot about just who he is to be able to accept that DCA fell short of what it should be and to kind of accept that and then, you know, to move forward from that. Disney easily could have stood by what they created or just, you know— whatever, not evolved or not changed anything, but that's not what they did. They admitted their faults. They, you know, imagined a new way to add the things that people love about Disney. And I think that's how, you know, business owners, small business shops, just people in general, I think that's how we should try to move forward in our everyday life because things don't always work out. You could argue that sometimes... You know, things or projects that we do are dumpster fires and it just doesn't work out. Um, and I think it's okay to recognize those shortcomings, but instead of letting that define you, you know, they could have let that define DCA. They picked up the pieces, they reevaluated, and they moved forward in a completely innovative way that allowed DCA to be beautiful. And, you know, we always hear about Walt's failures or struggles and the things that he faced. 
And to me, this seemed like a more modern version of that. And we talk about that all the time, how that's something that everyone admires Walt for. But we have, you know, a more modern version of that, too. And I loved that. I don't have much to add to that (laughs) because that was excellent. And I completely agree with everything you've said. The only thing that I would say is a lot of times we try to nail something on the first try and we think that's our only option. And I think the story of this tells us that even Imagineers, we put them on the highest pedestal possible. Mm -hmm. Even Imagineers fall short and they have failures and they have things that they need to take back to the workshop and work on and get to where they need to be. So I think it's just an excellent exercise in understanding that you have to put something out there, let it fail or let it succeed. But if you get stuck in that planning stage for so long, you're you're not going to nail it on the first time, more likely than not. Yeah, I completely agree with that, too. Good deal. So as far as personal history, what do you think, Brendan? I will be the first one to admit that I am not the biggest fan of Cars, the movie or movies, I guess I should say. (laughs) I've actually never even seen Cars 2. Oh, I'm sure you have. It's probably Cars 3 that you haven't seen. I might have not seen either of them. Okay, that's bold. Well, one of which one has well, I don't know. I can't remember. The second one is about like the Italian kind of the World Cup. The Grand Prix? Yeah. Yeah, I've that's seen the one. <laughs> I've seen parts of that. Um so I don't really like NASCAR or other racing things. I don't have a big affinity for cars either. It's something that I never really got into. So this like movie and the intellectual property here does not directly speak to me. A lot of times I think we view our experience in the parks where the movie enhances our experience in the parks. For example, Peter Pan's flight is not that outstanding of a ride, but because- What? Because I love Peter Pan so much, it enhances my experience and on the attraction. I think this one is the opposite phenomenon where the land and this ride in particular enhanced the movie for me. Mm -hmm. I get that. Which is not very common, I don't think. The only other one that I can think of, and it's not for me, it's probably for you, is Nightmare Before Christmas with Haunted Mansion Holiday. You're not the biggest fan of the movie, but you can get into it after riding Haunted Mansion Holiday. Oh, yeah. I get off that ride, and I am number one Nightmare Before Christmas fan. I So that's a good example. But I think that is very rare to happen in a park. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like Muppet Vision 3D. <laughs> I, I, I love it, but... If it wasn't the Muppets, if you replace it with any other IP, it wouldn't be that great. This Mm -hmm. one, I feel like it is so immersive and tells such a beautiful story. It makes me want to watch the movie. Yeah, that's a good point. For me, I'd have to say, I do remember when Cars was released pretty vividly. I mean, we were in middle school. I remember going to see the movie at a drive-in theater with my family. How appropriate. I know, right? And I did like the movie. Again... Not my favorite. If we ranked it, it might fall 15th out of 19, you know, just in popularity. But 
I will watch it when it's on TV if they play it on Freeform or something. But I just know when we were planning our trip to Disneyland, I think Cars Land was probably what I was looking forward to the most in DCA. Without knowing any of this history or anything else, I think I was looking forward to Cars Land and that abominable snowman treat. <laughs> well, we did watch, before we went, we watched one of those Halloween makeover Oh my gosh. Episodes yes. that used to come on Freeform. Mm -hmm. And they talked about Haunted Mansion Holiday, mm -hmm. but they also talked about the transformation of Cars Land to Halloween themed. And that was incredible. It, the hype was through the roof. And it was even better because sometimes you hype yourself up to see something and you see it in real life and it's like, oh man. But everything about Cars Land met my expectations, surpassed my expectation. And of course, whenever you think about Cars Land, you think about this ride. And growing up, I did love Test Track. It was one of the one of my favorite rides to ride with my dad. And that put Radiator Springs Racers at the top of my list. And it's still at the top of my list for all the same reasons that we listed today. The storytelling, the thrill, and I mean, everything. And now the history. Just tack that on there. So I think just for that reason, I would say, as far as personal history with this ride, we wrote it one time that it is up there as far as favorites. Okay, I have two follow-up questions. Okay. You mentioned that Cars Lane was your biggest attractor for DCA. Mm -hmm. We also loved Pixar Pier. If you just had to pick one land, where are you spending your time? I would probably still go to Cars Land. I loved Pixar Pier. Going into it, I wasn't as excited for it because it is so different from anything that we have in Disney World with everything being outside and just the feel for everything. I did love it, but I think I'd still pick Cars Land. Okay. The other question I have is, does this, I don't want to say ruin, but I almost want to say ruin test track for you. I ruin is just a harsh word. I think 10 out of 10, I would pick Radiator Springs Racers over Test Track. But whenever we get the chance, I still beg you to ride Test Track with me. Like when we're in Epcot and I see that Fast Pass pop up, I still ask you to ride that over Soren with me. Which I can't believe. Which I know you think is a big mistake, but this one ranks higher ultimately. The reason why I say ruin is that I think it did for me. Because, I mean, you kind of long for a story when you ride Test Track. I mean, it it serves its purpose. You know, it sets you up to know exactly what you're getting into. You build a car, you test the car. It does that. It checks the box for what it's advertising. But you do kind of long for a story. So mm -hmm. I see that. Yeah. All right. Neverland score time. Okay. So it is a score out of 10. The components are the ability to take you out of reality, the story you're being told, rewritability, effects and technology, and then your emotional attachment. Brendan, drum roll. It's high. <laughs> it's a nine for me. Ooh, that is very high. That's, I'm trying to think, did you write anything else a nine? Do you remember? It's okay if you don't remember off the top of your head. I think That is very high. I think Kilimanjaro was the only one comparable yeah that sounds familiar to me 
What about yours? And then we can discuss it. For mine, I gave it a nine and a half. Ooh, that half. That half. It's it's right up there. It was everything that I wanted. Again, it has all the same elements that you would want out of a ride as far as rewritability. It is competitive. It leaves you wanting to ride it again. Um, it does give you that kind of sentimentality to the ride. I feel like it's a ride you get off and you have a story. You know, like if your grandparents are sitting out on a bench, like waiting for you to get off, like you run to tell them, oh my gosh, we won or we lost or this is what happened and this is who we saw. And, you know, all of that hype, I feel like adds to it. So for historical reference, you gave Tower of Terror a nine. So this is half a point higher than Tower of Terror. Okay. I gave Tower an eight. Kilimanjaro, we both gave nines. Mm. So I, I guess... I've made it equal to Kilimanjaro. This is your highest rated attraction. It is. Again, I'm picking all my favorites, which is why they're very highly rated. So what detracts a half a point for you? And I can go while you're thinking. To me, the only piece that's missing is the emotional attachment. It's thrilling. It has great effects. It has excellent, excellent rewritability. It takes you out of reality to some of the best extent that we've ever seen. It's just the Cars movie is the only thing that I I I want to connect to it, but I just don't. So this is going to sound bad when I say this. The only reason it's not getting a 10 is because we've ridden Rise of the Resistance and nothing I don't think we'll ever top like the first time riding that ride is just undescribable. <laughs> we can't hijack this episode. I'm not. Rest. I'm not trying to hijack it, but you asked why I docked the half a point, And I feel like after getting off that ride compared to getting off Radiator Springs Racers, you feel a lot of the same things. You feel that adrenaline and that high coming off of it. Like, wow, that was awesome. And being in the ride, you do feel completely out of reality, you know, that immersion effect. But I don't know. With Rise of the Resistance, it leaves you wanting more and you kind of question, like, what just happened? I have to ride it again. Did I see everything? Whereas in this one, you can take it all in, honestly. I mean, because it is slow. It is telling you a story. You know, like, I got off and I didn't feel like I missed anything. I want to ride again, for sure. I would hop back in line. But that's the only thing. One thing I wanted to discuss with you from a storytelling aspect, there's probably many, many categories that these can fall into. But to me, some of the biggest ways that attractions stand out in the way that they tell a story is that like Radiator Springs Racers, nothing goes wrong throughout the attraction. There's no, oh, no moment. We're in trouble. We need somebody to save us. Mm-hmm. It is just. From start to finish, enjoyable with a thrill. Doc tells you exactly what's going to happen, and that happens. You know, I guess you can say that you almost run into the truck, but not really. Yeah, yeah. Whereas other attractions, there's that, oh, we're in danger moment. Uh Do you think you have a preference on the two different 
styles. Because like uh, Rise would fall into that second category where there's a danger aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, I think most thrill rides do. I mean, Dinosaur, Expedition Everest, you know, you could probably name a lot that have that oh no kind of. Um, I want to say something else. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought something else too. It's okay. Um, I don't know. I think it depends on what kind of mood I'm in, honestly, because I don't know. I feel like when you get on a ride like Radiator Springs, Racers, really when you enter Cars Land, you're not in that mindset of you think something's going to go wrong. I mean, even if you watch the movies, what the worst thing that happens is he gets stuck in this town. You know what I mean? Like there's never a huge oh no moment. So it makes sense that this ride doesn't really have that. Whereas if you do look at some of these other rides and their backstories, that's a big part of the movie. Yeah. I guess a different way of asking this is what's the hook on the ride? Most of the time it's a, can we survive? Am Mm -hmm. I going to live to the end of this (laughs) ride? I think the hook for this one is just the, the race. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's the competition. It is because if, Let's just say you went through the dark ride and then you just raced by yourself. Like if it was a test track, I do think something would be missing from this ride if you didn't race against someone else because that competition ties it all in. And that's what gives you that anticipation, that excited feeling of what's going to happen without having to be like super dramatic. Yeah. I agree. I, I do think it's harder to pull off but they nailed it because it's easy. You know, I, I can't remember which Imagineer said it, but I remember in the Imagineer story, they talk about like there has to be an element of death is what makes an excellent thrill ride. Mm-hmm. This you, have, one, you have to think you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. like, I mean, that's the adrenaline. That's uh-huh. what kicks in and makes some of those attractions like tower of terror speaks to that mm-hmm. to Probably a worse degree than I would like it to. <laughs> but the hook in this one is, is simply a really nice story. A nice drive turns into a friendly race with the other car. I agree. And, and I think that's all it needs. And on paper, that seems boring. Mm-hmm. But it is. You have to experience it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's all I had. I like I, it. I was just curious. That was a good follow-up question. Hopefully... You're thinking to yourselves at home what you prefer. And jump into our Facebook group to answer it. Yes. <laughs> yes. We have been trying to be better at in our Facebook group that we have our listeners in trying to ask, what is your Neverland score? We haven't received anybody's Neverland score yet. Just saying I would love to get other people's input. I can share the criteria with you. And I'm very interested to see if other people agree with some of the rankings that we get. I did hear some feedback that people thought we were too harsh on Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin. That's fair. Do you stand by your score? I do, just because I would seem flaky to to (laughs) backtrack. But I like that there's a conversation taking place. That's what we want, right? All right. Next week. Next week, it's your choice. I was on the fence. I wanted to almost pick something that we could tear down again, like (laughs) cartoon spin. And... Spoiler alert, I don't think we're going to be able to tear this one down. No. Splash Mountain. Another favorite for us. 
We're going to have to get past our favorites, so we might as well get them all out of the way, <laughs> and then we'll be ready. But Splash Mountain next Wednesday. Hope you can join us for that. If you've been listening to this episode and noticed any additional feedback in the noise, I'll tell you one person to blame, and that is Comcast. They are digging up our yard, our driveway, our neighbor's yard, trying to put down lines that they should have put down two years ago. So hopefully Brendan has magical editing skills. But I think it's appropriate that we're doing a Disney podcast and their biggest rival Comcast is here to try to ruin it for us. (laughs) Anyway, we hope you have a happy Wednesday. We will see you again next Monday. Bye. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Subscribe to the show and leave a review to help more people find us. Follow us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland underscore podcast to see our pictures from the parks. See you real soon.